Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So how can we make this case? Well, one way we can do it is to point out to people that there's no essential difference between the embryos you once were and the adults you are today that would justify killing you at that earlier stage. Arguments cannot be religious or non-religious. Arguments can either be valid or invalid, or sound or unsound. The substance view is the idea that from when you come into existence of fertilization until you die naturally, you are the same individual at every point in your life. So if it is wrong to kill you now, it was wrong to kill you then. Well, greetings and welcome to Pro-Life Thinking, a Life Training Institute podcast in which we talk about the abortion issue and larger issues related to bioethics in a way that's winsome, reasonable, and persuasive. I'm your host, Clinton Wilcox. Unfortunately, Nathan isn't able to join me today, but he uh, sends his well wishes and he's a, a big fan of, of our guest today. And uh, I know he'll look forward to listening to this at a later time. So I've had a kind of a productive January. I went to New Orleans, Louisiana to give a talk on, on how Christians should think about bioethics. That talk went really well. Uh, and then a, a few weeks later, went to the uh, the March for Life. And then I went to uh, Rock Hill, South Carolina, where I had where I basically stayed with uh, with my friends, Devin and Melissa Palou, who are with Ratio Christie. And one of the events they had me speak at happened to be a, a movie screening of the movie Unplanned, which is uh, Abby Johnson's story of how she became a pro-life advocate and kind of the journey she went on as a former president of a Planned Parenthood. And they did a Q&A afterward. I originally thought I was going to be on a panel, but it turns out I was just kind of up there by myself taking a few questions from people who were in the audience. And we had a couple of folks show up from, from a socialist group there at uh, Winthrop University. And I took some questions even from them and they were pretty, uh, pretty belligerent and, and hostile. And unfortunately it was kind of a Q and A setting. So I really didn't have a whole lot of time to really engage with them. And I was being kind of pressured to keep it short by the moderator who was there. So unfortunately I didn't really have much of a chance to engage with them. But if we were in a more one-on-one setting, then I would have been able to engage with them a lot better, asking them questions and, and that kind of thing. And so the, the guest that I have today, the material that we're going to talk about in this book uh, has actually really, and I, I'm sure he hears this all the time, but it, it's really changed the way that, I've been, that I interact and has kind of changed my whole, uh, not just perspective, but kind of my whole, whole life on, uh, on evangelism and uh, even in the abortion issue, reasoning with people using uh, using the, the methods that he talks about here in, in his book that we're going to, to talk about here today. I'm really, really pleased to have him on today. The guest that I have with me is Greg Kokel, someone who probably doesn't need any introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. Gregory Kokel holds MA degrees in both apologetics and philosophy. He's spoken on more than 80 university campuses and hosted his own radio talk show for over 30 years defending Christianity worth thinking about. 
Greg is founder and president of Stand to Reason at str.org and serves as adjunct professor of Christian apologetics at Biola University. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Well, Clinton, I am so glad to be part of what you're doing. I have a soft spot in my heart for LTI, Life Training Institute. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, my wife and I support what you guys are doing financially. Uh, Scott's mm-hmm. very close to us. We, he was on our team for many years, and so I, well, I'm really happy to provide whatever I help I can give to uh, your audience today. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. I, I re- really appreciate your time. We also have uh, another uh, mutual friend in Steve Wagner. I oh, went through yeah. the I went through the uh, the JFA program for probably two or three times, and then started getting trained by Steve as an, to become a, a speaker and mentor through through Justice for All. And, and as you know, your material that, that you wrote about in Tactics is plays heavily into the JFA uh, model for a dialogue as well. Well, Stephen was also on our staff, and uh, I just counted it a, a, an absolute uh, privilege and honor that both Stephen and and, uh, and Scott are doing their own enterprises now and having mm-hmm. a solid impact. So I'm uh, glad they're paying it forward. So, and, and you kind of are like a grandson of SPR's <laughs> efforts, I guess. Yeah, uh, so yeah, I, yeah, I think that's a great way of, of looking at it because I, I definitely uh, haven't just benefited from your material directly, but also through the instruction that I've received from, from guys like uh, Steve and Scott. Right, right. For anyone who who is listening right now, we are recording this show live. And so if you have a question for Greg, uh, you can call in at 646-668-8257. Once again, the number is 646-668-8257. And if you're listening to us on the Blog Talk Radio website, then uh, the number should be up on top. So if you didn't have a chance to write it down, uh, you've got it right up there. As I've already alluded to a couple of times, what I brought Greg on to talk about is his book, Tactics. He wrote wrote this book 10 years ago, but I forget if it was late last year or early this year. I think it was last year. He released an updated version of Tactics, the 10th anniversary edition. And so that's why what I'd like to talk to him about it today, considering that the book has been very instrumental in my own engagement with people who disagree with me, not just on religion, but on abortion as well. Greg, the first question that I like to ask all of my guests is, why are you pro-life? What, what was your journey that led to your becoming pro-life? You know, when I uh, was a non-Christian, I was not pro-life. And the reason I was not pro-life is because I was a non-Christian in college. <laughs> I mean, oh. strictly speaking, I, I, to be honest, I'd never heard, ever thought about the issues. Um, I just was a secular guy in a college university environment and all of us believe the same thing it was a herd mentality i'd never thought about the issues quite honestly i i even recall saying though it's it's uh it's scandalizing to me now to think about this but i would say well even if the unborn is a human being it doesn't matter we can still abort it through abortion and take its life through abortion uh because of our self-interest now, I didn't use the word self-interest, but that's the way, what it amounted to. But I did use all the other words. And I know a lot of people are willing to say this nowadays, and, and, uh, and it's clear that they have never, ever thought through the issues. Now, when I became a Christian back now 46 years ago, um, my, everything changed for me. 
but in a kind of an odd way, my view on abortion changed because I had changed my community. I went from a secular community which believed in abortion as a legitimate human right. Actually, I became a Christian in 1973, the same year uh, that Roe v. Wade was passed. And so then I went into a new group that uh, had a pro-life view, and that was what you believed in the new group. And so I kind of... I kind of migrated into that belief, again, without thinking too much about it. But as I began to think more about it, I started to realize in a very clear way what was at stake. And uh, as I thought about the very basic logic of the pro-life view, I realized that this is one of the one of the central moral issues of our time, the end of the 20th century and the beginning of the 21st. And this is where, as I thought about it, and it was exposed to people um, who were thinking more carefully about the issue. Um, my view, it, it wasn't that it began to change because it, it was now pro-life because I was a Christian, but what happened is my pro-life views got informed in a solid way. So prior to that, I couldn't really defend the view. I could just say, this is my view, and I could assert that it's wrong, but I couldn't argue why it's wrong. I couldn't make a case, and uh, I couldn't make a, a secular case, especially, that is arguing from ethics and from, from science and from philosophy. I mean, kind of taking that external, non-biblical approach to make my case. And, uh, and I heard, this must have been about 40 years ago, I heard somebody make the point that the real central question is, what is the unborn? And when I thought about that, well, that changed everything for me, Clinton. And as you know, this is a central part of how not only Stand to Reason um, approaches the issue, what is right. it, you know, that central question, what is the unborn? But it's something that Steve, Stephen rather, and Scott, and a whole host of other people who used our material um, employ to kind of simplify the issue. So, I mean, largely that's been my 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 story, um, becoming from non-pro-life to pro-life. Curiously, I became pro-life because I became a Christian, and I figured that's the right view to have. And it was only afterwards that I really got the arguments that make the case. And frankly, now, I mean, I, 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 I don't plan on defecting from Christianity, but it, right. if I were to, and I mean, theoretically, my case, and I only say this because my case regarding abortion does not rest upon a religious foundation. It rests upon a solid philosophical, moral, ethical, and uh, scientific foundation. And of course, that's the way we found to be most effective to prosecute our case about uh, the rights of the unborn. What was the reason that you first decided to write the book Tactics? Well, um, what, I had, what I had, as a follower of Christ, of course, I was vocal about my convictions, and being vocal about my convictions, talking with other people, evangelizing, in a culture that's increasingly hostile, of course, there are lots of challenges that people offer to you as a follower of Christ. And there, some of them are the standard things, the problem of evil, and why is Jesus the only way, and can I rely on the Bible, and that kind of stuff. But also in the last 15 or 20 years, a host of new issues are, have been coming out of the culture that we had never faced before. 
So it was becoming increasingly difficult to navigate in conversations about Christ. And I found that doing radio now for 30 years and being on college campuses and making the case and answering questions that that I, I began to um, – I'm not sure exactly how to put this, Clinton, but I, I stumbled upon ways of navigating more effectively in those conversations, finding little mistakes in the way people thought about things and um, uh, seeing that there wasn't clarity in their view and pressing them for more clarity before I could even answer the challenges and seeing how um, those who didn't share our views were a lot of times tripped up because they couldn't even make sense of their own view when I asked questions about it. And so probably about about 30 years now ago is when I began to formulate my approach in terms of specific maneuvers in conversations to make particular kinds of points to keep me in the driver's seat of the conversation and to get people thinking about their their mistaken ideas about reality. And and so um, I don't even know when I started calling them tactics, but uh, they just that word seemed to make sense to me. When you think of tactics um, in military terms, uh, you know, D-Day, that was a big invasion, right? So that's a big strategy. That's the big picture. But once, you, once our soldiers hit the beach at, uh, at Omaha and Utah, then they had to engage one-on-one, essentially. That's where tactics comes in. It's the maneuvering with regards to the particular situation that you're in. And every strategy, however good it may be, is going to be beholden to the tactical maneuvers. Um, and so uh, I thought this is a good way of describing engaging with individuals on particular things. As I discovered these different techniques, so to speak, of, of uh, staying in the driver's seat of the conversation, maneuvering well and graciously. I mean, I, I, I wasn't interested really in, in winning all my arguments and making people look foolish because I'm the smart guy and I, now I've shown them to be the dumb person. I mean, that's not very virtuous. Um, I guess in the beginning I might have been a little bit more like that, but I realized the most important thing is for them to see the truth. And so I, I realized ta- maneuvering tactically in a way that looked more like diplomacy than D-Day would probably be more effective. And so over time, these tactics took form. They have names like suicide and taking the roof off and just the facts, ma'am, and uh, steamroller and inside out and sticks and stones. And there are all kinds of different names that refer to these individual maneuvers. Um, these, uh, the, these, I decided, well, as long as I'm using these things and I've kind of developed a little bit of a nomenclature for them, um, maybe I should start teaching other people to do it. And, and so I did. And this is actually, I'm trying to think now, I think this was even before Stand to Reason started that I started teaching in different places on tactics as they were at the time. Now, in the last 25 years or so, I, I have refined so much of, uh, of that whole approach. And in fact, 10 years ago, I wrote the book Tactics, or it was published. And uh, in the ensuing 10 years, I found a whole bunch of ways to communicate the ideas of the tactical approach more effectively. I developed more tactics, 
and uh, and also more, was able to kind of um, uh, mature in my in my uh, my ability to engage people. And so I thought, well, now it's ten years. We need a tenth anniversary edition. And to be honest with you, Clinton, I was thinking, well, I'll just I'll just freshen it up a little bit, you know. <laughs> and it turned out I added yeah. almost fifty percent more material. I added twice as many tactics, and uh, it's a complete revision a complete rewrite. So I'm very, very excited about this 10th anniversary edition of Tactics. Uh, I'm going to have to be uh, honest with you here, Greg. I actually just uh, lost connection on the website, uh, and so I had to call in on my cell phone. So I actually missed a little portion of, of what you were talking about there. So if I if I happen to ask you something that you touched on, I, I do apologize. Uh, I, oh, I no may worries. have missed something when I had to call back in. But, uh, but no, yeah, I okay. appreciate that. The subtitle of your book is a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. So right. the book is specifically geared toward other Christians, but could people who are not Christians still benefit from reading the book, say non-religious pro-life advocates? Well, I think they could, absolutely, uh, even if even on any issue, really, uh, because these are largely uh, maneuvers of clear thinking and clear communication that is meant to get other people thinking carefully about important matters, okay? Um, it, 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 they entail basics of uh, critical thinking, and so they can be used in all kinds of different things. I've taken this broad set of skills and applied it specifically uh, to evangelism, all right, engaging others. I don't like all the religious words. In fact, I have that's a mini tactic I have that I, I talk about. It's called watch your language. <laughs> so I right. I wanted to, and that's like stay away from all the Christian lingo because it just confuses people. And this is why I called mm -hmm. uh, the subtitle a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions, not a game plan for sharing your faith. You know, mm -hmm. so um, yeah. in any event, yeah. So um, these are the kinds of things though that. And people ask me about this. Can I use can I use this on my wife? These tactics. And I said, sure, you can, if, because they're sound principles of thinking. Now you have to be careful that it doesn't look like you're beating up on your wife or your husband or the non-Christian, right, for that matter. I mean, this is a consideration uh, that we always have to keep in the back of our minds. But uh, mm -hmm. people have told me that a lot of the same concepts that I teach in the book are things that they've learned in the secular business world, and they've been practicing them successfully for years, but they never thought to apply them to the process of engaging others with uh, regarding our convictions. And so these are very, very broad concepts and can be used with uh, a variety of ethical questions, not just to advance Christianity. And that's why when I'm talking with people about the pro-life issue, I use my tactical approach. I do actually have a, a question from Facebook. Uh, Mark Lambert had a question for you. Uh, he's used your study curriculum for tactics, and he was actually wondering if you were planning to publish an updated study curriculum for the updated uh, anniversary edition. You know, um, I'm trying to think right now. I know I did on the – that curriculum is two parts. It's a video curriculum, and hmm. it's also a workbook. And so far, I have updated the videos, and I don't know if they're available yet. I just did the filming for it in November, but I suspect it will be out pretty quickly. Zondervan carries that, so they just have to check online to see if the um, video product from Zondervan is updated as well. I don't think anybody's okay. approached me on the issue of the workbook uh, yet, but I, I think that what's in the in the new edition 
it's going to be pretty easy to um, to work with and to communicate to others if they're if they're using the material to teach a group. Central or sort of central to your your book tactics is Lieutenant Columbo, what you call the Columbo tactics. Could you tell us a little bit about about Lieutenant Columbo? Okay. Um, I mentioned there's a lot of tactics, and I gave a bunch of names for them. But actually, okay. there there is one tactic that is central to the game plan. So when I talk about a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions, that is what I call the Columbo tactic. The other tactics serve the game plan in a very particular kind of way. But the game plan proper I call Columbo. And uh, the reason is is because this is a tactic that is the simplest tactic imaginable to stop a challenger in their tracks, to turn the tables, to get them thinking, and to put you in the driver's seat of the conversation. And, Clinton, that's the key to the, the tactical approach. You don't want somebody else driving you all around. You know, in other words, driving the conversation, you're getting pulled this way and that way, and you don't know what to do. No, you want to be, ideally, uh, in the driver's seat that is in control, managing the conversation. doesn't mean you're manipulating people. It doesn't mean you're controlling them. It means that you are doing your best to drive the conversation in the direction that you want it to go. And I found that the best way to do that, bar none, is to use questions in a very intentional way. Now, of course, this is where Lieutenant Colombo comes in. He's the TV icon of a, a bygone era, I think four decades ago now. But most people um, remember Lieutenant Colombo because he was so distinctive. And he'd show up on a crime scene, you know, and he's scratching his head and muttering to himself. He's got a cigar, you know, and a pad of paper, but he doesn't have a pen or pencil. He's got to bum a pencil off of somebody to take notes. And this guy doesn't look like he can think his way out of a wet paper bag, you know. I mean, he's stupid, but he's stupid like a fox, right, because he's got a plan. You know, and at some point he stops, scratches his head, and then he says, "Do you mind if I ask you a question?" And this is his his uh, signature technique. And uh, one more thing, you know, and he one more things him to death with question after question after question. So what I'm advocating in the tactics book is that the Christian goes on the offensive in an inoffensive way with carefully selected questions that advance the conversation. I just want to say it again so people get it. The Christian goes on the offensive, but in an inoffensive way, with carefully selected questions that are meant to advance the conversation. And that is the heart of the the game plan proper. Now, the other tactics, like Inside Out and Taking the Roof Off of Suicide and Just the Facts, Mammon, Steamer, all of these other things have a place, but they are kind of all appendages, if you will, to the body of the game plan, which I call Columbo. I mentioned this to Alan Schleeman the other day. I have him uh, as a friend on Twitter that um, uh-huh. Lieutenant Columbo is a little bit before my time. When can we expect the detective monk technique? W- when can you expect what? The, the detective monk technique. I'm sorry, I couldn't understand that last thing. I know oh. Columbo is before a lot of people's time. I suggest people go on the <laughs> YouTube or something if they want to, you know, they want to see it. But uh, but you don't yeah, have to was, know who Lieutenant Columbo is in order to uh, to appreciate the tactic named after him. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, no, I, I was uh, I was just making a joke. Uh, I, I don't suppose you've ever seen the show, Monk. Oh, okay, sorry, I missed the humor. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, it's all right. Detective Monk is kind of like uh, Columbo for for my generation, and you oh, know, he, he, he was I actually see. kind I of modeled after Lieutenant Columbo in a lot of ways. I got it. Okay, so, so I'm not really a TV yeah. buff nowadays. Haven't been for about oh, twenty okay. years, but that's oh, yeah, why yeah, I missed no the worries. reference. Oh no, that's that's right. So you'd mentioned when you were talking about why you first wrote Tactics that you kind of uh, stumbled into in, into a better way to have these discussions. Right. So you have a you have a degree in philosophy now, and so the the techniques that you talk about in your book seem very similar to what's known as the Socratic dialogue. Is that right? Is there a lot of inspiration from Socrates in your Tactics, or did you kind well, of actually, uh, come upon this independently? From... Yeah, you're right. It is the it, the Colombo tactic is the Socratic method. Socrates was very sophisticated in the way he used it, and um, but I didn't I I didn't I think I was aware I certainly was aware of Socrates and the Socratic method before I started studying mm-hmm. philosophy. But he was not the source of inspiration for me. Um, a lot of people who don't even knew, know who Socrates is or the Socratic method, which is a question asking method to probe issues and come to the truth of things, you know, they still realize that asking questions can be very helpful. And that's kind of the way I stumbled upon it. Now, when I started writing about it, I thought, I got to give this a name. And I thought, well, um, what about Socratic or Socrates or something like that? But you know what? Hmm. It doesn't have the um, appeal (laughs) as Hmm. Columbo, you know. So Columbo is really perfect. Socrates was mm-hmm. 2,400 years ago, and I mean, right. people know who he is. But, but it was. Uh, I think Columbo is a great is a great image for people, partly because mm-hmm. Socrates was really brilliant, and his and his questions reflected the brilliance. Now, Columbo is pretty smart too, but his questions mm-hmm. seem disarming, and I like okay. that aspect of Lieutenant Columbo. Peter Falk was the actor. And uh, and I think this is a great way that we can do, we can engage people in a disarming, relaxed kind of way, just with a heightened curiosity about their own views, drawing them out and addressing issues or even challenges that may came, come up by using questions. I was actually glad to see, I think this is one of the, the new parts of your updated tactics, but I, I was really glad to see that you had a response to atheist philosopher Peter Boghossian and his idea right. of street epistemology. Now, I've read right. the book, A Manual for Creating Atheists. I thought it was very well written. Uh, that was one of the strengths of the book. But obviously there are some things regarding what he considers street epistemology which differ from the technique that you use in tactics. And I, I've actually had some street epistemologists try and engage me on the question of God's existence and certain other things. So one of the questions kind of on my mind is whether or not you would have addressed it in the updated version. I For did. For those of you maybe um, who, are, who are not uh, familiar with Boghossian, could you maybe explain the difference between your method and Boghossian? Yeah, well, I'm actually looking at Boghossian's book right now, A Manual for Creating huh. Atheists. It's right here in my bookshelf, and I bought a copy. I didn't want to, I didn't like sending him the money for it. Um, mm-hmm. But the reason I bought it is because um, in the original edition of Tactics, there there is, of course, the basic game plan. There's three different steps. And uh, mm-hmm. people ask me, well, what happens if uh, people use Columbo against you? What would you do? And so I just had one or two paragraphs to explain 
my response. I wasn't afraid of the Colombo tactic, but there is something you have to be aware of if somebody is using it against you. And so I explained that. Right. Um, but then, of course, here comes Peter Bogosian and his street epistemology and his manual for creating atheists. And I've had these guys call me on the air and engage me. And they're very clever because they use questions. Um, there is a difference, though, in the way that they use questions. I, I don't think they use questions fairly, to be honest with you. I think they're looking for ways of using questions to catch Christians by surprise, uh, to trap them in an illicit way, uh, distort the issues, and they're not using them to help uh, get get people to the truth of the matter. You know, it, they are just there to create doubt, and that's it. Uh, notice in Bogosian's book, he doesn't tell his own disciples to argue for atheism, even though he's an atheist. He doesn't mm. tell his his own disciples to argue against religion or Christianity. Um, he 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 tells them to just ask questions, and the mm. questions are specifically aimed at their view of faith. Now, this is where Bogosian very cleverly along with a whole host of other popular atheists right now, has redefined faith as mere belief, a leap of faith, something you think you know but you don't know. And, um, and of course, a lot of Christians are stuck in that situation, and if you start asking them questions about their faith and the reasons they believe what they believe, and they don't have good reasons, then they start wondering, well, maybe they don't, maybe they're believing wrong. Maybe they've got the wrong view. And this is exactly what Bogosian wants them to do. So what I did was I wrote a chapter which included the material from the last book and expanded on it just a little bit. And then um, ex went into much more detail of dealing with Peter Bogosian, his street epistemologists, and uh, his book, A Manual for Creating Atheists. The chapter of that, uh, I'm sorry, the title of that chapter is called Turnabout, Defending Against Columbo, and I go into some detail there. So I think, especially in this day and age, when you have atheists that are using tactics like this that are, are themselves, in a sense, neutral, that, that is, they can be used on anybody, um, and can be used effectively, that means they can be used against the Christian. And so I give some very specific guidelines on how the Christian can protect himself when he finds himself in these kinds of uh, questions, in a situation where he's being asked the questions, and especially when there's a lot of hypotheticals that are given. Hmm. you know. And uh, these are the things that Bogosian's disciples use to get Christians all uh, you know, turned upside down and confused, and so I want them to be squared away. Instead of just causing someone who doesn't necessarily agree with us on a particular topic, rather than just kind of instilling doubt in their own positions, we actually offer them arguments and evidence for our own position, and that would be kind of kind of one way in which the interaction would be different. Well, it it would be different a little bit in that way because we are going to make a case, <clears throat> but what what Bogosians disciples do is they ask a lot of questions about faith and the idea is they're trying to create doubt in the in the christian okay hmm. and so um okay. we're, we we want to, them to have doubt in atheism too so i, I don't i don't right. object to that 
What troubles me is that he has he has aggressively distorted the biblical definition of faith. And so mm-hmm. what his guys are doing is they're attacking a straw man. They're attacking a distortion of our view. The problem is there are a lot of Christians who believe the distortion. For them, mm-hmm. faith is just a leap. And when they are then confronted by a, an aggressive questioner, who, by the way, is usually very nice, he tells his people, be really nice. Don't scare, them. Don't scare the Christians away. Be nice to them. It's a very right. powerful tactic in itself, you know. Yeah. Uh, but but then they start asking the questions the Christian can't answer. Well, this then becomes really powerful. Notice, though, that it's based on a distortion of the definition of faith, and that's a huge part of Boghossian's approaches. Now, with us, mm. I want to I, I want to I want atheists to doubt their convictions, but I want to ask questions that go to the heart of the matter. So if you're an atheist, I'm going to ask, where do you get – a lot of atheists are going to complain that the God of the Bible is immoral, right? You know, genocide and slavery and all this other stuff that they construe as promoted in the Bible. So one of right. Lugosian's people called me on the air, and I and raised this particular issue, and I asked a very simple question. I said, where are you getting your moral standard that you're using to judge God by? All right? Now, that's a very – fair question to ask of an atheist who's finding moral fault with God. Because in the atheistic worldview, you can't have any objective morality that you can use to find fault with God. It doesn't exist. And it turns out this guy said, well, it's evolution. Evolution is given his moral sense. And I said, so in other words, what what you're saying is, the God you read of in the Bible disagrees with your... Uh, the one you find there disagrees with your evolution. That's all you're saying. And he said, yes. It was funny. He stepped into that trap. But in a sense, it wasn't a trap. I was just making clear what his own view was. And see, here now I'm using the questions to reveal foolishness. That's what I'm trying to do. Foolishness that's already there, not a foolishness that they invent as a distortion of the Christian view. The idea that this caller had that evolution can account for morality, that would be one of the views that you would say commit suicide? Well, um, there's a – here's the – you're on to something here, but I have to refine it just a little bit. If a person okay. objects to God based on the evil in the world, he's got to commit himself to the notion that there is evil in the world. Okay, pretty basic. Mm-hmm. But there can only be yeah. evil in the world if there is genuine good that is violated by evil. Okay, So there has mm. to be some standard that is above all humankind that gets violated to create the evil over humankind that the atheist is objecting to. And so his worldview, though, cannot provide the resources that are necessary to even make sense out of the problem of evil that he then um, assaults the Christian with. And so th- th- it is a form of suicide. His his point of view self-refutes or self-destructs, commits suicide, because in atheism he doesn't have the morality that he, at, at, at the ready, to use against the God of the Bible. Um, and, and so, in fact, I was just writing about this today in another piece. 
So, um, yeah, that's a kind of suicide. That's a type of self-reputation. Another example is if a person who complains about the problem of evil is actually a moral relativist. And I know you guys talk about this in the abortion question. People try to assert relativism all the time. Yeah, that may be your view. Abortion's wrong, but it's not my view. Abortion's right. Hmm. So you have your truth, I have my truth, and, and there's no, okay, so that's all you could say about morality. It's different, different opinions. But hmm. if that's your view, you can't, you can't go ahead and start complaining about the problem of evil in the world um, as an argument against God because they don't believe in evil in the world. They only believe in different definitions of right or wrong for individuals. Hmm. So that's a different type of suicidal argument. I call that practical suicide. But you're on to it. Okay. I read uh, Tactics a few years ago before the uh, the new edition here. And, right. uh, you know, for, for me, uh, it definitely, it was definitely a, a technique that takes some getting used to because I, I have more of like the, the debater attitude, which is like someone gives his view, I'll give a counter view, and we'll kind of discuss that. Uh-huh. I'm looking, trying to find the flaws in someone's argument and then trying to ask questions to get them to draw that out. Uh, that technique definitely takes some practice, as, of course, you mentioned in, no, in your I, book as oh, well. No, I agree with you there. But I just want to make yeah. this point, Clinton, and you may recall this. Mm-hmm. Um, when I mentioned the yeah. game plan, there are actually three steps to the game plan. And the one you just mentioned is the last step, and it's the most advanced and most complicated. The first mm-hmm. two steps, though, are very, very simple. And even though mm-hmm. they're simple, those steps all by themselves can make a big difference in a conversation. So when I, uh, last weekend, I was in San Antonio, and I taught on tactics. And at the beginning of my talk, I made them the promise that I make to every audience uh, where I speak about tactics. I told them in the next 45 minutes, or say the next hour, I am going to give you a game plan that will allow you to converse with confidence in any situation, no matter how little you think you know, or how knowledgeable or aggressive or even obnoxious the other person happens to be, okay? So now that's a pretty tall order. You mean, I don't have to know any philosophy, apologetics, uh, any geology. I don't have to have any insight into anybody else's issues before I can start the game plan? Then my answer is, you're right. You don't need that to begin the game plan. In fact, the game plan is meant to, to some degree, extract that information from the person you're talking with in a very relaxed, amicable, friendly fashion. But as you're extracting that information, that is their point of view and their reasons for it, while you're getting that information from the other person, it's amazing how just the simple questions I suggest that people use begin to get the other person thinking. Keep in mind, at this point, we're not even talking about advancing our own views. That's the third step. The first two steps are just trying to understand the, the challenger's views. And when, when the questions I suggest uh, people use are put into play, it's amazing what ends up happening, even though the Christian isn't doing that much work. So yeah. on the one hand, you're right, there is a complex element to it once you get further along. But all your listeners can get into the shallow end of the pool real easily, using the first two steps of the game plan that's going to allow them to have my promise fulfilled is that they will converse with confidence in any situation. Mm-hmm. All you need is the first two simple steps to do that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, again, I, I didn't hear because the uh, site had shut out on me. Uh, did you mention what the uh, what the three steps were? I did uh, not yet. So no, and I'm okay. glad to do so. Okay. So okay, it's a right, three-step yeah, so game. Go ahead and, and do that if we can. Just yeah, cover that's those. right. Sure. Yeah, the, uh, the, there are three steps to the game plan, and the first two are the most rudimentary, fundamental, and they're the easiest ones to do, and they don't talk, require any knowledge. The very first thing that you're going to do in your game plan, and by the way, when I say first part of your game plan, I don't want people to think about what's going to happen down the line. If they're, share, if they're, if they're talking about spiritual matters, I do not want them to think about leading that person to Christ. That's way down the line. I just want I don't want them to think about harvesting. I want them to think about gardening. That's the way I put it in the book. Okay. And what okay. The, what you need to do before you go any further is you have to gather information. So that's the first thing. The first step is to gather information. Okay? And um if you don't even know the person you're talking with, you don't have a topic that you're discussing, in many cases your listeners will be talking about the pro life view. You want to gather information. Even if you know what their view is, you still want to gather information. Um, you right. want to get the lay of the land. You want to, you want to know if there's any minefields out there. You, you, the more that you can understand about the other person and their view, the better. Before you start preaching, before you start pressing your point of view, thumping the, you know, pounding the podium or whatever, thumping your Bible, you want to start asking the kind of questions that will give information about their view. And uh, this is where I suggest a very simple question. And that question is, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Now, let me give you an example how this plays out, because this is a broad question. You're, you're gathering information with it, and you can use a lot of variations. So if somebody says, well, I'm pro-choice, well, everybody knows what pro-choice means. It means pro-abortion. Okay, never mind. You still ask the questions. Okay, what do you mean pro-choice? What do you mean by that? And let them explain it. Okay, well, I'm in favor of choosing. All right, then, then I might ask a question. You know, do you believe that it's okay to take, in the right to take? Well, obviously, that's not a full sentence. Take what? <laughs> and I said, that's my point. Do you have a right to choose? It depends what it is you want to choose. So what is it that you want to you think you have a right to choose what? So when I say you think you have the right to choose what, that's a question. Throws the ball into their cart. Now they have to tell me. Oh, I think I have the right to choose an abortion. Okay, great. By the way, what is an abortion? Now, again, this is very simple. Everybody knows what it is. I want them to spell it out, and I'll tell you why. And you know this, Clinton, and so do a lot of your listeners. There's a lot of ambiguity in these, in these words. Even though we know precisely what we're talking about, the language is meant to obscure the issue. Choice, privacy, uh, even the word abortion, these are all meant to obscure what actually takes place, which is why we use graphic images, which I did last weekend in San Antonio, because uh, cool. we want to take the ambiguity out of the out of the word. Right. Go ahead. Were you going to jump in? Oh, no, no, no. I, I was just, um, you know, vocalizing to make sure you, you know that I'm still here, still uh, paying attention. Okay. Um, but so but actually, the... since, since we've, actually, since we stopped, just real quick, uh, I, I guess I will point out that regarding the information gathering, you know, you mentioned someone might say they're pro-choice. Well, 
Yeah, that, that's actually a very important step because even though I know pro-choice means that they're in favor of abortion, I don't know what their specific view is regarding abortion. And so that would help me right. gather information to know about their specific definition of pro-choice. Sure. And so I'd be asking all kinds of questions about their view. So if they said, if they said I'm pro-choice, I said, can you help me? I, I, know, I know this sounds like an odd question, but help me what, to understand what you mean when you say you're pro-choice. Well, it means I'm pro-abortion. Okay. Once again, I'm just I need clarity. When you say you're pro-abortion, you're that means you're in favor of what? Well, I think a woman should have a right to choose. Well, what is it she's choosing? Well, she has a right to choose to terminate her pregnancy. Oh, okay, so she's pregnant and she gets a chance to terminate it. When you say terminate the pregnancy, how does that work? Now, why am I doing all these questions that seem obvious? Because I want the person who is pro-choice to spell out as precisely as possible, I think a woman who is carrying her own offspring within her womb has a right to kill that offspring before the offspring comes out for virtually any reason whatsoever. Okay? Hmm. That's what I want them to say. And I'm going to keep working at it until I get them to say quite clearly exactly what they mean. Now, by the way, I'm not trying to badger them. I'm, I'm, I, I'm trying uh, – what I'll say if they ask me, why are you asking these questions? I say because I think there's a lot of ambiguity when people talk about these things, and it, it's an important issue. You think it's an important issue? Yeah, of course I do. Okay, so, well, so therefore I just – I'm trying to be as clear as I can be. So let me ask you that question again just to help me out so I have a very clear understanding because different people mean different things by these things, and I definitely want to understand you. Okay, notice how I just role-played that in a friendly fashion trying to draw out this person. Here's my conviction, Clinton. On just about any issue, if we start drawing people out, they are going to be exposed to all kinds of vulnerabilities of their own view. Now, I know this because I've studied these views. And you know just in the pro-life issue, uh, people who are pro-choice, well, there's all kinds of vulnerabilities to that view when you start to press them on the issue. And if, they, if you can get them to show their hand and make these statements that more explicitly declare what they're about, then you cannot be accused of uh, kind of attacking a straw man when you try to, to get down to the nuts and bolts of the morality of abortion, okay? Hmm. Um, no, yeah. if they go out and say it, yeah, well, I guess I am killing, I'm killing something, right? Oh, right. Well, is it alive? Well, yeah, it's alive. Okay, so if something is growing, nobody knows when life begins, they might say. Well, wait a minute. Is it growing? Yeah, it's growing. Okay, well, then it's alive. You know, this is Stephen, one of Stephen Wagner's lines, you know. If it's growing, it's alive. Okay, great. So now we know that what you're in favor of is killing something alive that's growing inside of mom. Well, it's her own body. Really? Let me ask you a couple more questions. And so you, now you know I'm just kind of walking down the basic pro-life c- case, Clinton, so I could say mm-hmm. could that whatever that is inside mom have a different body type? I'm sorry, blood type? Could it have a different mm-hmm. sex? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, so that it isn't mom, is it? No, I guess it's not. Oh, okay. Well, what is it? Well, who knows? Really? What kind of genes does it have? Well, I guess they're human. Oh, oh. well, that would make it what? I guess that would make it a human being. 
Oh, well, good. Mm-hmm. Now we're making progress. So what you're talking about is you approve of killing an unborn human being who is growing inside of mom because that's the place that that unborn human being is supposed to be growing. Do I understand you correctly now so far? Okay, so what are we doing? I mean, I'm role-playing all of this, Clinton. And by the way, all this is is the first question. That's all. What do you mean by that? It's just getting clarity on their view. I'm not arguing against abortion. haven't said a word against abortion yet. I'm just making, getting the other person to make clear what abortion is. Because I think when it's made clear, it becomes increasingly obvious that it's barbaric. Right? Yeah. Right. And this kind of approach can be used with all sorts of different issues. And even on the abortion question, uh, when people bring in other challenges like, well, maybe it's human, but it's not a person and things like that. This is when I ask them, well, what's the difference? You say it's human. Okay, you agree with that. Okay, thank you. Good. I think you're right. It is human. But now you say something else. You say it's not a person. All right. What's the difference between a human person and a human non-person? Okay, now they have to answer this question. And notice, by the way, this is just another, what do you mean by that question? It's another clarification question. Because they have just divided the human race into two groups, human persons and human non-persons, right? And human persons get full protection of the law. Human non-persons you can kill with impunity. So they better know where that line actually is so we all know which side of the line each of us is on, right? Right, yeah, that's important. So, so again, notice, I, I, I'm not, I have not argued against abortion. I, I, I am simply at this point only using the very first step of the game plan. And that first step of the game plan is gathering more information. Now, am I doing it purposefully? Yeah, I'm doing it purposefully. Okay, um, but I am, uh, I, I, I am, I am still only using questions to gather more information from the other person, which, as it turns out, begins to make my case against them even though I'm not actively doing it. And I think people will find over and over again this is the way it works out. So probably the majority of your time then will be spent on that first question, would you say? Yes, I think you're uh, right. Yeah, it's it's more – this is why I say it's more like one-on-one basketball than it is like chess. mm -hmm. It's a little fast-moving, and you have to adapt to the circumstances. But if if you have clearly in your mind – what your intentions are, what you're trying to accomplish with your questions, that you're, ga- you're getting the lay of the land, you're gathering information, you're asking what precisely do they mean by these vague terms. Well, it really isn't that hard, I think, to adapt to the circumstances. It's actually quite easy. Um, it, but, again, it, it takes a little bit of practice, but at this stage, not a lot. And this is why I encourage people with even the first two questions, the second, first question is, what do you mean by that? The second question is, how did you come to that conclusion? That is, you're going to ask for the reasons for the view they hold. What are your reasons that you think abortion is okay? Well, it's not a human being, or it's not a person, or it's not alive, or something like that. And uh, that just gives you more information. But by asking those two questions, I think your listeners are going to be absolutely amazed, Clinton, 
at how much progress they're able to make in a conversation, even though they're not advancing their own view directly. It's yeah. really amazing. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, cause I believe you mentioned in, in the book that by asking how they came to that conclusion, you might actually be causing them to think about their own views for the first time. They may not never have actually justified that view before, and now they're kind of thinking through it. And so this helps really helps them to try to get some clarity on sure. uh, in the discussion. Sure. The, the way one way I put it in the book is I, I I'm not asking Christians or in your case pro-lifers, whatever their other mm. convictions happen to be, I'm not yeah. asking them to swing for the fences. Right. You don't have to hit right. home runs. Frankly, I say you don't even have to get on base. I just want them to get into the batter's box. It, using these questions gets them into the batter's box, okay? And once they're in the batter's box with these questions, it's going to be amazing to them what they see happen as a result of using these seemingly innocuous questions. They're going to see people get befuddled, um, confused, um, not know what to say. And keep in mind, it's not because I'm trying to trap anybody. I'm not. This isn't a hmm. word. These aren't word tricks, right? Uh, th- right. These are just right. asking for clarification. And it turns out people's views are often so bad that when they're forced to clarify them a little bit, they look as bad as they really are. <laughs> so then, uh, oh yeah, well, I have first? a lot more I could say. Obviously, I can keep oh. talking for hours, but I think that kind of covers the okay. basics of the game plan. The first one, you find out what their view is, and the second step Mm -hmm. is you find out the reasons for their view. And the third step, we've made reference to it, but is you're using questions to make a point, and the point that you might be making is uh, what's wrong with their view. You're trying to show them Mm -hmm. a weakness or a flaw in their view. Especially the first few questions, gathering information and causing them to to defend their claim will be pretty transformative. I've seen that uh, in my own interaction with atheists and with pro-choice people as well. I guess the question I would have then is how do you determine whether it's appropriate to ask a question or to, to give a statement regarding your view? Is that just kind of something that you, you learned by instinct as you as you practice more or are there certain cues that you can tell that, that a statement might be more appropriate than asking another question? Well, it is something that you kind of learn in practice, although my recommendation is you never use a statement when a question will do the job because the question you're you're pursuing the same goal as with a statement but the question has a tactical advantage what it does is it throws the ball in the other person's court so um so look at when somebody says um well it may be a human being but not a person all right the unborn now, we could say, look, at there is no relevant difference between a human person and a human non-person, and then we can give them the SLED test, size, level of development, environment, degree of dependency. Okay, your listeners know about that. But what am I doing yeah. at this point? I'm preaching, and I'm doing all the heart heavy lifting. And they're maybe listening, but I'm preaching at them. People don't like that. So what if, if instead of me doing all of that stuff, if I just ask the question, what's the difference? Boy, I take it. Ah, breath, I'm relaxed here. I just tossed the ball to their court. Now it's their view. It's their, I'm sorry, it's their turn. It's their job to defend the distinction they just made between a human person and a human non-person. So even though you could get the job done both ways, one way is a lot harder, and it's not as effective. The tactical way is much simpler, 
much more effective. And so this is why I recommend, even if you're used to using statements in a standard discussion that people might have on the pro-life issue, for example, I think that they should try to think of questions they could use instead that could drive the conversation in the same direction, make the same point, but make it with a question and not with a statement. One of the new tactics that's in your updated version, which you uh, which you mentioned earlier, is called uh, Sticks and Stones, in which you actually encourage the person who's evangelizing or spreading the pro-life position or whatever the conversation is, you encourage that person to move toward an objection rather than away from it. Is this a mm-hmm. case of finding common ground with your interlocutor, or is it something uh, a little bit different than that? Well, I, I don't know if it's so much finding common ground. It's just that sometimes... Sometimes if you, instead of, by moving towards the objection, you can accomplish something that you couldn't accomplish by fighting the objection, okay? And an example of somebody says, well, you're bigoted, for example. Now, when a person says that, and we're having to talk about uh, the pro-life issue, and they say, I'm bigoted, notice that they have changed the topic. We were first talking about abortion. Now we're talking about my personality, okay? So um, one way to deal with this, and this is the sticks and stones tactic, is simply ask them what they mean by that. Ask them what they mean when they say I'm bigoted or I'm intolerant or something like that. And there's a, there's a, there's a, a direction you can go with the line of questioning that way that I describe in the book. But to move towards the objection, you could simply say, Let, let's just say, let me agree that I am bigoted. Okay, I mean, I'm, so I'm I'm saying to the person who's calling me the name, I said, okay, let's. What if I agreed that I was bigoted? Could I be bigoted and still have a correct view about abortion? Or could you be non-bigoted and have the wrong view? Well, the answer to that is yes in both cases, because whether you're bigoted or not has nothing to do with whether your view on abortion is correct. You could have bigoted and non-bigoted pro-lifers. You could have bigoted and non-bigoted pro-choicers. All this is this is going on here is name-calling. Mm-hmm. So if I go forward and embrace that, say, okay, maybe maybe I am bigoted. I actually did that on a TV show once. Mm-hmm. Then maybe wow. I'm I am what you I am that. Well, why don't we all agree that I'm a bad guy? Okay, now we all agree I'm nasty and bad, which I wasn't being nasty and bad, but I said, mm-hmm. okay, so now we all right. agree that I'm awful. Let's get on to the topic we were originally talking mm-hmm. about. That's an example of moving toward the objection. I might just be having the uh, JFA model stuck in my brain that they're really big on common ground, and I was thinking, well, you know, maybe this would be finding common ground in that, you know, you could yeah. be bigoted, but your argument could still be true. But, yeah, yeah. I guess it would be kind of slightly different. So we're actually uh, coming to the end of, of the hour here, Greg. Uh, where can people find you online? Well, I encourage people just to go to our website for Stand to Reason. Hmm. So the acronym is STR, Stand to Reason, and the website is simply str.org. And there you're going to find everything hmm. that we do. 
can buy the book there. Of course, you can also buy the book at Amazon. I mean, that's that's easy. Um, Tactics, right. the game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. That would be the 10th anniversary edition. It's got a big red uh, oval at the top of the page. I mention that because Amazon is still selling the old edition, you know, and uh, wow. so I want them to get the updated version. Um, and uh, yeah. Or they can go to str.org, and, and they can get – we have all kinds of stuff on the pro-life issue there. We have videos. We have – uh, articles that we've written, and it's not just me, but our whole team. You mentioned Alan Schleiman. I mean, he's got a yeah. lot of stuff up there, Tim Barnett, etc. So that's the best best place to yeah. go. And aside from the updated and expanded version of Tactics, you also have another book you, you recently released, The Story of Reality, I believe? Oh, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. I love that book. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I know it's strange to hear Authors say that they guess they all love their books, but this to me is a fabulous yeah. way of characterizing the Christian worldview that's very, very accessible. I kind of count yeah. it as a yeah. somewhat as a mere Christianity for a new era. Uh, very okay. easy. It's called the story of reality, how the world began, how it ends, mm-hmm. and everything important that happens in between. Okay, I haven't uh, haven't had a chance to read that one yet, but it's definitely on my radar. Good. So, uh, <laughs> hopefully, I'll get to that uh, soon. Um, I was just then, reading yeah, it the just, other night just for fun. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, you know, if, if you like it, then uh, maybe that will uh, encourage other people to, to enjoy yeah, it, too. Yeah, I hope so. You know, good, I good, love good. that book. Yeah. Uh, and then, so you, you also mentioned you do a radio show. Uh, where can people tune into that as well? Well, the best way to get that, uh, let's say you get the podcast at iTunes, or you can go to str.org and uh, subscribe. There's no charge for it, of course. And I do a thing called Stand to Reason. That's the basic call-in show. And then there's another show. We do uh, two hours a week of the Stand to Reason show and two hours, actually two one-half-hour shows of what's called hashtag S-T-R-ASK, as in A-S-K, because that's how people can send in on Twitter questions that we answer. So we're not talking to people live, but Amy Hall and I are fielding their questions and talking about them on the air. So there's two principal podcasts that you can get available at str.org or also available at iTunes. Great. Once, once again, I do apologize uh, for the site cutting out like that. They kind of uh, threw me off my game a little bit when that happened. But, uh, no, it was no patience. problem. No, and, no yeah, problem at all, again, really. And once again, I just want to thank you for, for coming on and allowing me to interview you about this book. Well, it's a pleasure, Clinton. I'm, I'm glad to chat with you and um, and with your audience. It's great. So if you appreciated the um, the interview here, then we would just ask that you uh, share it around social media. You can rate review our podcast on iTunes, where we have it, and also on Blog Talk Radio, uh, and also our Facebook page. Now, this is a, a weekly podcast, give or take, uh, and it takes um, a lot of work to put together a podcast each week on top of all the other work that I do in the pro-life movement. As Greg Cunningham of Center for Bioethical Reform says, there are more people working full-time to kill unborn babies than there are people working full-time to save them. Now, I subsist off of donations from financial supporters. If people like you see me being able to do the work that I do. If you like what we're doing with this podcast and would like to support my work as a full-time pro-life advocate, then you could go to www.prolifetraining.com and click on Donate in the menu on the top. You can give a one-time gift, or you can give a monthly gift. Just be sure to put my name in the notes section so that Life Training Institute knows to put your donation into my account, and donations are also tax-deductible. And uh, if you'd like to donate to this podcast specifically, you can also indicate that in the notes section. 
Now, regarding some upcoming events, uh, I don't have anything specifically set in stone yet, but I do have a couple of conferences coming up in May. One will be a, a training for homeschool students regarding the, the pro-life position, how to defend the pro-life position on hospital turf, and how to respond to pro-choice arguments, things like that. And the second one will be a conference with some other apologist friends of mine called the Mentionables. And so uh, I'll have more information on those events as they uh, get closer. But those, both of those will be going on in May, a couple of weeks apart. So once again, uh, I'd like to thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.